Hello and welcome to ELT Under the Covers. Today uh, we have a guest and I've been racking my brain on how to introduce him. Uh, I would say he's a modern day renaissance man with a biography that it reads like a, an epic historical figure. So I'm going to have to actually read a little bit from this because it's, it's quite extensive. Um, so... He studied in psychology, hypnosis, NLP, linguistics, and education. He's the star of one of the most viewed TEDx talks on the YouTube, How to Learn a Language in Six Months. He's the author of the book, The Third Ear, founder of Kung Fu English Language Learning System, a passionate environmentalist, polygot, entrepreneur, adventurer, educator, and just all-around legend, Chris Lonsdale. Great honor to have you on the show, sir. Thank, thank you, gentlemen. Great to be here. Uh, so, <sighs> amazing biography, uh, extensive, very interesting life. How did you get here? <laughs> Could you kind of give us a bit of your origin, especially um, with regards to language learning? Right. Um, how did I get here? Well, here, I guess, is time and space. So it's, it's in Asia and um, it's, it's 2021. Uh, I actually went to China in 1981. Um, and I got there because I was hitchhiking around New Zealand and reading a book about this guy who rode a motorbike around the world at Triumph 500. I thought, oh, that's pretty cool. I'd like to do that. Mm. And then I thought, ah, but boring. He's already done it. <laughs> Another. <laughs> and then, and then I, I thought, oh, hang on a minute. He never did China as part of his loop. So I thought, oh, I'll, I'll, I'll go do that in China. <clears throat> so I, I uh, trundled down to the, the embassy in Wellington in New Zealand after a week or so on the road and walked up these big stairs to these big red doors with an overhang that was just my head height banged on the door and this gruff sort of guy comes out what do you want <laughs> and i said how do i go to china and ride a motorbike for a couple of years he said you can't <laughs> i said so how do i get to china he said there are tours i said not interested how do i go for for a few years he said your country has scholarships go find it so I spent the next couple of days trundling around Wellington, walking into different government departments saying, do you have a scholarship for China? And got into uh, foreign affairs and lo and behold, they did. Wow. And um, I said, I'm, I'm going to be applying for it. They said, they said, it's coming up in six months. I said, watch out for my application. It'll be coming in. And so uh, I did. And I, I think, I, I, I'm not sure if this is my memory of my rehearsal or, or of actually Actually, in the interview, they brought me up to Wellington. Yeah, and I'd never done—I hadn't done Chinese in university, and everyone else had. They'd done a couple of years, and and they said, "So, what makes you think that you can can learn Chinese?" And I just said, "Well, I can learn to speak Scotch and speak English." <laughs> so, whatever they they let they let me on, and um, so I ended up uh, on a flight and then a train to Beijing, and um, it sort of all went from there. Hmm. Awesome, and. Um... I mean, you know, 
if you're <clears throat> wanting to get more into Chris's background, you know, you should definitely watch his TED Talks and the, the mm. numerous videos on YouTube. And so how did you kind of go about, I guess, learning Chinese? Um, that's the interesting thing. I, um, I decided a couple of things. I decided that um, I was going to use what I'd learned in psychology, especially the stuff around memory and, and that sort of sort of work at the time mm -hmm. to, to help. When I was at university, we had to write a paper on Piaget's stage theory of language learning, which basically said if you passed a certain age, you wouldn't be able to learn a second language. And I had seen so many people around me who had learned a second language to fluency as adults. Mm -hmm. I'd had that opportunity. And I also, as, as a 16-year-old, I had a chance to have someone from Tahiti stay with us for a couple of months, and I went to Tahiti for six weeks mm -hmm. uh, on an exchange sort of thing. So in that basically 12 weeks or 10 weeks, I got enough French to sail through the last two, year, two years of French in school mm -hmm. uh, and got second place, I think, in a, in a national French-speaking competition. And so I went in knowing that it's possible, knowing people who had done it, um, and I then set myself the goal of being native level. Mm -hmm. it so, so I w wasn't speaking a little bit, it was like, I want to be native level. So you wanted to just be just like indistinguishable from just the, uh, the locals. Exactly. It's, it's interesting because um, what I'm hearing is, is uh, f from your stories as well, it's there's no um there's no doubts in the mind it's just well why can't why can't i do this uh and exactly there's uh, and i guess you see barriers um that have put up maybe like Piget or you know more physical ones with the, the mm. with the embassy and it's just well okay so how do i move around that and you know it's a very core principle with being able to acquire skill, uh, especially something where language, where it plays a lot into doubts uh, and such. So um, how did that uh, work out in China as you as you are kind of like growing as a language master and um, your thoughts well, about I, uh... starting to, I guess, teach it in a way? Well, well, I well I lucked into a number of things. It, it was it was interesting. So so there, there was a lot of serendipity um, through 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 the journey. So, uh, for instance, was in Beijing for maybe a ten days, and we hadn't actually started class yet. And a friend from the Middle East said, "Hey, why don't a bunch of us go up to Beidou up on the, the East Coast resort town?" And so we, we trundled off and got our passes because in those days you actually had to have a pass to go from one city to another and they had to approve them and you know, weren't allowed to ride bikes from one city to another, which we once did. But uh, <laughs> anyway, um, it, so we ended up going to Beidou, hung out there for a couple of days and then on the way back, we couldn't get seats on the train. It was all booked out. And, and the thing about Chinese trains is you could set your watch by them yeah, but there was no guarantee you would actually get a seat on one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I see still so, like that. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So, so we ended up in the in the um, the dining car, and there was um, a transport policeman there, and he sort of took an interest, and so he wanted to have a conversation with with me, especially, and so sat down and started talking, and it was all him talking, gestures, and drawing in his little notebook and showing pictures and. 
and everything else. And, and basically eight hours of this overnight. Oh. Um, just And I came out of that sort of going, wow, I understood a whole lot of what he said. Mm-hmm. Um, so that that was the whole context was actually a comprehensible input context with tons of brain soaking. Mm-hmm. Um, so I came out of that and I back to back to the, the college where we were about to start classes and people were saying stuff to me and I was understanding it. Um, so I went, okay, that's, that's really interesting. And then the next step, like they were trying to put me into a class and they, they should have put me into like a complete beginner mm-hmm. in the, in the language school, but they heard me speaking the language. So they, they put me into, <laughs> into this level with, with people who've done two years university Chinese and right. Mm-hmm. And we were sitting there like we, we, we were having to write essays. So here was the thing I was, I was, uh, one monk, so I was illiterate, so I could already be speaking a little bit and make my way around and my accent was already sort of getting there. Yeah, but I couldn't write any characters. Well, it's a and whole we different write... ball game, right? <laughs> exactly, exactly. So, so I had to, we had to write these, these little stories, right? And I was looking around the room and everyone was like, you could see them thinking in English or mother tongue and then looking up the translations into Chinese. Mm-hmm. And I just went, what can I say? All right, I'm going to use that and write what I can say. And if I don't know how the character works, I'm going to look up the dictionary to see how to write the character. But I wasn't translating. I just decided, okay, I know this little bit of Chinese. That's what I'm going to write with. And, and that's how I did it. And so that was also an insight that you work with the core. You start with what you've got. You use it. And then you extend out from that core as you go rather than trying to translate from one language to another. Yeah. Um, I mean, this this is all uh, in your books uh in your book sorry um with the five principles and seven actions and i do want to touch on um more more of that um but i'm i'm interested with so you're you're really i mean you're getting uh, immersed in chinese you're really getting a grasp of the language uh, at this point um when does it sort of transition to going uh, to the to a realization of going actually this maybe a lot of you know language learners aren't doing it this way and this was really working really well for me how can I I guess teach this and how do I go about like putting together this system this book and, and such all right well that, 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 that was a long long gap between the two. Oh yeah um, <laughs> So I yeah, mean, so, if there, so, it's the, I mean, there's probably points a, that you want to fill in, but uh, I, I'm just it, yeah, it was, so. <laughs> no, 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 no. It was, it was a long, long gap. I never had any intention of teaching English or language or anything else. Uh-huh. I, I did, I did some English teaching for a group of cadres in a in a science university and stuff, and they were all very eager and very nice. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it was sort of like traditional pedagogy and and they all struggled, all right? So um, that, that really wasn't what interested me. I was, I was training in the martial arts and I got myself into the Beijing Institute of Physical Education to, to train in Chinese martial arts full time mm-hmm. and managed to wreck my knees in the process. So I then ended up in Sichuan province mm-hmm. and um, I was training with the Sichuan provincial martial arts team and getting my knees treated by a Chinese uh, herbalist. Mm-hmm. 
um, and living in a basically a 50 cents a day U.S. room mm-hmm. in a in a hotel. So the hotel basically foreigners could only stay in the five star hotels, and I couldn't pay for it. And I offered to wash dishes and stuff, and they said no, 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 no. But they gave, gave me this like 50 cents a day thing. But the the the, the deal was there were three beds in there, so any travelers coming through got to use the other two beds. Oh, <laughs> so I had this. <laughs> So I had this. It's looking you were like adventure. <laughs> it was it was an endless stream of yeah. coming through. Um and 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 I I had this book uh, called Shaolin Slimin which is Legends of the Shaolin Monastery. It was in Chinese. So I sat down to translate it. Um so my time in Sichuan was spent training and getting my knees looked at and and translating this book. And um pretty much by the end of that I was coming up to the end of the scholarship period, which I managed to actually get extended for a third year, um, which almost never happens. Um, somebody had, had dropped out um, and there was this overhang. And so since I wanted to stay, they let me stay. So they, they basically supported me for a third year. But then that time was running out and um, I went back to Beijing and I, I tried to get jobs with multinationals in Beijing and they no one would hire me. And I'm, I'm sure it's because they spoke Chinese too well. Um, and, and and to give you an example, I was I was with my with the, the coach for the martial arts team in Sichuan, and it was coming up the Chinese New Year, and he wanted a bottle of Wuliang Ye, which you've heard of Mao Tai, I guess, right? Yeah. So it's spirit water, right? So Wuliang Ye is the Sichuan version, and it's actually smoother, it's better. It's um, spicy. Yeah. <laughs> knock your head off. Um, he, so so he wanted to buy a bottle for for his, his teacher and and he couldn't find any anywhere in the city. I said, well, look, I'll get you some from the hotel. And he completely straight-faced, not joking at all, he said to me, they won't let you in. Because in those days, if you were a Chinese person wearing normal Chinese street clothes, these five-star hotels and everything else were, were you couldn't get in as a local. And uh, cadres could get in, foreigners could get in, mm-hmm. but you know, a person who was just a local Chinese person couldn't get in. So this guy was just saying to me, completely straight-faced, believing what he says, they won't let you in. Mm-hmm. Um, so I had at that point hit the goal of basically being perceived as local. Right. Wow. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, and, and mixed with your no doubts, then it was a dangerous yeah. combination for the Chinese. <laughs> well, I, I don't know about that. <laughs> I, I actually think that they're, they're pretty. They can be pretty creative. They're hard driving. Yeah. Um, they. I, I learned something really important about the Chinese versus the Americans. Mm-hmm. Basically, in my first couple of weeks in Beijing, there was this tug of war competition that was was arranged, mm-hmm. and it was the Americans and the foreigners in one team. All these big chunky guys and you got these little short Chinese guys on the other side, right? Mm-hmm. And the, the the Western team sort of was walking off and coming back and not talking about how to do this, no no preparation. The Chinese team was just talking and pre- practicing and getting themselves ready. Mm-hmm. And so you got, you know, like twice the weight on the Western side. Mm-hmm. And these Chinese guys just, just creamed it. They just <laughs> took the Western totally across uh... the line. Yeah, 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 yeah. I remember yeah. this one time we were moving apartment, um, and here, here I am with some of some of my American, big burly American friends, and we're trying to move a fridge upstairs because obviously no elevator, right? 
and um, we're having a heck of a time because it's super hot in Shenzhen, so it's slipping, sliding everywhere, and um, yeah, yeah, we get yeah. up to like the third floor, and this Chinese guy opens his door and he's like, "What's going on? What's what's with all the banging?" And um, you know, Caesar's kind of like we're struggling. We're like, oh, "Don't worry, don't worry." And he's like, and he's he's like, "Oh, I'm I'm gonna help. I'm gonna help." I'm like, "Oh, he's, what's he gonna do?" And then he comes and he just gets like a whole bunch of ropes, whips it around the fridge, puts it on his back, and he and he's and he's up and he's gone. And we're like, <laughs> <laughs> "I don't know." Just there, just stood holding yep. ourselves completely yep. limp. And yeah. you yeah, know, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I don't want to get too much into kind of uh, <laughs> China and any sort of politics around that. But no, no, I, no, I love, I love China, and it's very misunderstood, especially uh, the people level. Um, and it's yes, a, a fantastic yes. place to just be and to have adventures. Yeah. You will have adventures whether you want it or not. Yep. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Exactly. So, so back. Go ahead. Uh, yeah, I was just th- I was just thinking, Chris, before we because <clears throat> we're kind of progressing towards because um, Neil kind of put it onto the track to uh, how you got into teaching. But I was thinking a bit more just about um, your your sort of journey as a language as a language learner there. And mm. um, obviously it's it's massive to <clears throat> to go from no Chinese to um, speaking, at a, you know, an, an indistinguishable or, or even almost indistinguishable level to a to a native speaker um and you know you've hinted at some of kind of the general ideas of your of, of the way that you did it um as you say uh really i mean one aspect of it is that is the is the communication aspect obviously you're a good communicator and uh, your experience with the 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 guy on the train <clears throat> kind of showed you you know being a good communicator and him also wanting to engage uh, mm. and you know that principle of comprehensible input allows you to kind of make um, you know, a, a good deal of progress, uh, which is, you know, sort of one of the linchpins of communicative language teaching, isn't it? That, that yep. sort of idea. Um, and I'm just, I'm just wondering about the, the kind of the nitty gritty bits, the bits of like how you would refine your accent, because I, I, I feel like, I mean, from your story, it sounds like you're someone who was able to pick up the pronunciation pretty well, you know, um, and, uh, and I'm just wondering if you have anything to say about that, like, because that's one of the things that people really struggle with, with all language learning, but especially something like Chinese for a, for a, for a Westerner. Um, the pronunciation is, is a lot of people consider it as a, like a roadblock, you know? It's a different song. All right. Um, okay. Then, then let me tell you a story. A few years ago, um, somebody came to me in my office in Hong Kong. He's a French guy. And he spoke English, but he had quite a heavy accent. And he wanted me to help him change his accent to sound English. Mm-hmm. So I said, sure, we can do that. And we, we basically started and we were 10, 15 minutes in. And I was just guiding him on, on how he needed to do it. And he was really sounding English. Mm-hmm. And then he went, I don't want to have to feel like this. Ah. Uh... I've decided to stay with my French accent. Mm-hmm. So, so accent comes from a mixture of all of the muscles in your face and your throat and everything else and how you use them. Mm. It's completely tied up with your expressions. 
right? So, so like if you start speaking Scots, uh, you begin to talk like a, an Indian mm. man, and then you're already nodding the head, and and the way the face feels and looks is different, right? So, so there's a, your identity, the physical identity that you have, is tied up with your accent. Yeah, uh, I can. I can totally see that. I mean, from um, I think we've talked about this before, right, Rich? You know, when we've um, when because yeah. we both we both went to started our journey in Spain together, and we both right. kind of adopt, we we I remember we had this conversation where we're like, I do feel like a different person when you're speaking in Chinese because you know my my voice would get a bit deeper and Spanish. Uh, <clears throat> yeah, and, we, uh, we we I mean we 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 chatted about it from more of a just a mental perspective yeah um i don't think i've actually considered before uh like specifically what chris is saying right now about the mm -hmm. you know the the physical aspect actually because obviously the you know the it the the the, the mouth is is one of the primary uh speech organs and and it is tied to your facial expression yeah. and i've never thought about that actually affecting how you how you kind of behave and feel before but i think it seems actually now it's like the elusive obvious. It's something that's, yeah, of course, <clears throat> you yeah, know, yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. yeah. If you, cause if, if, if I like, if I just force a smile, I start to feel a bit more energetic. And if I kind of do this, then I start to feel a different way. Yep. Right. And of yep. course, if you're making different sounds and it's changing your mouth, it's going to, it's going to do that. It's really an interesting, uh, an interesting aspect of. of we could we could turn this into a whole podcast. I, I feel <clears throat> just based around this because it's a very interesting idea. And I know I know Chris that you have um, uh, alongside Kung Fu English, you have this. Uh, I don't know what the course name rhythmic. Cause I see like rhythmic Cantonese. Rhythmic. Yeah, 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 yeah. So I, I would, I would presume that there's aspects of this within that so where you kind of i guess this one's more based on the sounds but do you kind of cover like how to kind of position your face to uh make are we doing we do in kung fu english and we actually have face models um oh, really? so yeah 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 because yeah. i was learning mandarin it's like my face used to hurt yeah yeah i'd, yeah, I'd, totally. I'd, 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 I'd it's like if I've done a two-hour marathon or something. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean yeah. it's. A, I mean, there's a brain burn as well when you're trying to just mentally go through that process, especially because you're you're learning something new all the time, right? Um, but I don't. I want to get more into this, but I feel like we're not quite there yet. So right. Well, what? <clears throat> so well, one of the things I would do, right? Uh, it, the other angle of this is is listening. The more you listen, mm -hmm. the more you're getting the the accent without even thinking about it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I used to spend hours with a couple of friends. So like one guy would take me up to his room. We'd go to Blackboard and we'd talk until one two a.m. and he'd be doing most of the talking. So I'd be listening to that. But mm. his friend, who was an artist, would go for 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 jowls and a beer, and mm. and um. He was like really heavy Beijing, rawr, 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 rawr. and and so I would be mimicking him, listening to him mm. talking a lot, and and so and and then I would find myself just during the day mm. picking certain words that were a little bit I wasn't quite there yet, and just mm. doing them, you know, twenty seconds, thirty seconds here, mm. another minute there, 
um, like the the toughest sound I think for for Westerners, well, especially English speakers, to get is shu, shu si, right? It's it's just we don't use our face that way, and uh, that took a while. There's a, there's I would say there's a sixty to seventy seventy percent of the sounds in Mandarin mm-hmm. are completely overlap with English. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, right. But there's yeah. either the not and they're so, like way out there. Because when when you're when you're um, when you were sort of listening to people, and the reason why I asked this or mentioned this is because it's something I've heard from like polyglots before. Uh, did you kind of pay particular attention to people's like mouth and you know this sort of area of their face? This is something that I've heard from polyglots before that they kind of they kind of watch people. It's not just listening, but they actually watch people a lot when they speak, and then that kind of helps them. To get an idea of how those sounds are made. Yeah, but it's it's not done. Con- it's like it's not done consciously. Right. Okay. What what is what is interesting is you're watching, but you're not trying to sort of logically interpret what's going on. Yeah. Uh, and if you look at a little kid, when the mother is speaking, the kid will do exactly the same thing. They look yeah. at the mother's face between nose and chin, and they're just intently focused on the face. Uh, which is which is why masking kids and and people is completely nuts. They're going to yeah. It's going to they're going to yeah. grow up with their language abilities severely yeah. hampered. Yeah, yeah. There's um yeah. There's going to be a lot of uh, unintended consequences. Oh yeah. With, with I, I mean I, I I yeah I mean I didn't even think about kids, but kids are it's going to be terrible for them. Uh, in terms of language skills, but I mean, I was I was talking to uh, actually a student of mine who's a who's a, an English teacher uh, in mm-hmm. Spain, and she the other day, and she was telling me how um, they're still wearing masks in the language classroom, you know, and I'm just like, yeah, but it's a, it's a language classroom, <laughs> like, really? <laughs> like you really need to see some, you know, you exactly, the- exactly, 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 exactly. Yeah. <clears throat> so so yeah, so yeah, it was it's it, lots and lots and lots of listening playing with it one of the things that i i did was to to, to stretch the mouth so play with sounds mm. like little babies babble and and they yeah. they sort of lie down and they 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 sort of test the boundary so you need to stretch yeah. your face to to the extremes and sort of soften it up so it can go into those new positions yeah like like stretching like stretching exactly exactly and breaking the old patterns as well mm. but it's, 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 as soon as soon as you've done that it actually becomes relatively simple and th- then it's like you you that you really need to look for the sounds that um map what you already have so in chinese wa mm-hmm. right and you think about it in english you'll have have sounds in english like ah Right, so so we don't have the W before it, but you have that O sound, mm-hmm. and you just realize, okay, well we have the O sound in English, so I just put the W in front of it, and I have W, and done. Uh, mm. So you 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 knock off a whole bunch of stuff that's actually easy for you, as long as you are prepared to mm, soften the boundaries in your head about what what words are. Do you know what comes to mind? I don't know if you're familiar with. Um... Michelle Thomas, um, it reminds me of this because you know one. I mean, we're we're, we're huge fans uh, of Michelle Thomas on the on the podcast, and um, one of his principles is I can't remember what the you know, Rich might have to help me with this. Um, what what he calls it, but basically he says 
he focuses on well what do we have in your native language that we can cross over uh, into this new language to make it easier mm. he focused more on Lexi so do you know like um, mm. uh, yeah, it's uh, all. For, it's all the, it's I all mean, the it's a little bit more difficult it? with Mandarin because you know, like yeah. we say mango, Mandarin's like mango, or what have you. Oh, so there's a few yeah. Len yeah. words here or there. But yeah. he, I mean, he was focusing more on Romance languages, and th that makes it a lot easier. So what 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 I'm hearing with you is is kind of the the same sort of principle, but with yep. the, the same phonemics, the same sounds. Mm. Well, the phonemics, but also the logic of the language. Yes. Right. right. So the logic in Mandarin is very similar to the logic of English, again, with a 20, 30% difference. But the 70% <clears throat> in terms of word order and everything else, it is exactly the same. Right. Um, so it right, might be, and, in and that then, terms, it might be easier than learning sort of like Spanish or something that's a little bit more yeah, yeah, exactly. back to front. Right, so, so it's 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 easier for a Western to learn Mandarin than it is for a Cantonese speaker, mm. right? Because a can because a Cantonese speaker gets trapped halfway. Yeah, they 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 sort of hear the sound in Cantonese, they hear it in Mandarin, and they they morph it a little bit. But they never go a hundred percent, and because they're also trying to learn from from the text, not just hearing it and using it, they're always they've always got their automatic. Um, subconscious things happening, the mm. processes happening in their brain. So they right. see the character and that that yeah. using a Cantonese accent for it. Right. So it's, the, the, there are lots of yeah. interesting complexities in this, That's right? That is really interesting. It reminds me actually of um, <clears throat> how people who come from very phonemic languages, as in where there's a, a very close relationship between the sounds and the way the the words are spelt, uh, they really struggle to get the pronunciation in uh, in other languages where there's more there's more um phonemic sounds because they're always kind of as you say like they're like automatically linking letters to sounds and they find it so difficult to not do that even when it's exactly. really clear that that letter in this language is not that sound you know that, they still and, and, do I ex and i i got i got to a point where i i literally have to tell people letters don't make sounds I think there would be a lot of people that would even not well, maybe not consciously have that but then as soon as you say that go oh shit yeah <laughs> you're right yeah right yeah letters don't make sounds okay letters and letter combinations represent sounds that you can already hear and that you can already make it's like the whole um nugget of your words don't have meanings, uh, you know, apart from what we subscribe to them. And exactly. Go, oh. <laughs> Do you have Mon any people just turning into puddles of who am I, Chris? What what what's yeah, going on? <laughs> uh, yeah, a little bit sometimes. Yeah. A little bit sometimes. Uh, monolinguals have that problem. Yeah. People who've grown up bilingual or multilingual, like places like Malaysia, don't, because they already get that words are labels. And you can change the labels as you like, mm. basically. So, so yeah. But but monolinguals really struggle with it because for them the sound is the thing, and the letters make sounds. <laughs> and it's like, ah, yeah, no. Yep. Mm -hmm. <laughs> 
Okay, um, so where where were we at? We were well. We started. We started talking about how did how did I sort of get to um, deciding to, to to sort of teach this stuff. I got sick yeah. and tired of the com of the conversations about oh you speak Chinese really well you must be talented. I'm not. Yeah. And mm. it was like oh god, not another one. Mm. Um, it, it became really, really, really irrit irritating. It's like no, you can do it too. Oh no, I can't. I'm not a language learner, you know. I, I I'm tone deaf. Yeah. And I was like, really? Yeah. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. Well, you're hearing those tones. They're so not tone deaf. <laughs> I've never learned a language before. Yes, you have. What are you speaking now? No one taught you. You learned it by yourself. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So so I got really tired of those conversations, and they would happen a lot. So I said, ah, got to write a book. Um. And just at the time where I decided to go for it and write the book, SARS hit. Oh. So I, I was running my consulting business and I was on a plane every week to, to different cities in Asia and all that stopped. So I, I sat down and wrote the, the third year, You Can Learn Any Language, um, and codified the process basically of going in country and what do you do mm -hmm. and, and the steps you need to take and what you need to understand about your internal mental processes and managing your own emotions and all that. Mm. And then, uh, then that <clears> book, um, after it came out, a whole bunch of people. So I never, I never set out to teach language, but I, I just had to put a stake in the ground on this point because I was so tired, so tired of the, the belief systems that were limiting people. Well, yeah. they, they, it's almost like they're trying to put that, those beliefs on you, right? And mm -hmm. it's like, then it, when it's so widespread, it becomes like a society thing where it's like, well, this, it's almost, you know, you, you could apply it to castes, caste systems or stuff like that. You just, you're, yep. you grew up working class, you're going to stay working class and, and that's it. And you know that's how yeah, society yeah, yeah. works, and yeah. so it's kind of almost a pushback against, you know, authority and uh, these ingrained ideas, which you know, aren't obviously true. But uh, you know, you're a bit of a Galileo, right. a Galileo in in regards to language. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So so anyway, wrote the book, and then a whole bunch of people started using it, mm -hmm. and. Uh, we had a guy, several guys from, from different countries, took the book, read it, went to China, and they were speaking fluently in six months. And the girl from India went to Chile, and she was speaking Spanish in six months, to the point where she was hired as head of sales for um, a big uh, IT company. Another girl from Australia who'd failed at Dutch in Holland because the attitude there was, don't bother, you'll never learn our language. Um, so she read the book. She went to she went to Brazil, and she was basically bilingual. Within about six months, she got a job head of diversity in a big multinational. So um, all these stories were coming in from people who read the book and went and applied the ideas. That this that was where the TEDx title came from: How to Learn Any Language in Six Months, because mm -hmm. there were so many people who had done it mm -hmm. by following these principles. So, mm. so I just decided to go with that as the title <clears throat> of the TEDx talk. Mm. Yeah. Um, so you, you wrote this book and I mean, let's, let's get into the book uh, a little bit. Um, and it, it lends with the, the TEDx talk. I, mm. I, I, I mean, I didn't 
read uh, I've not read the book I've read snippets um and you know I've listened to the the TED talk and you know I I like it I th- I find it more of a uh a holistic approach um and I could see how people would find it frustrating because it's not giving them no now you need to learn this grammar point or do this this or this it's more kind of a a broader this is mm-hmm. the mindset that you need and this is how you should uh, approach it. And if you kind of follow all these principles, then, you know, it's going to work out. It, I, I kind of I see a mirror between this and like the, uh, like the fitness world where they have all these different diets and approaches to how to lose weight. When really you just say to someone, exercise and watch your calorie intake you know make it a little bit less than uh what you need to maintain and you're going to lose weight it doesn't have to be more complex than that i kind of see that with with your book there's some some of the points that i i saw with the five principles you've got the that comprehensive i'll just if you don't mind i'll read them out that i have um short Mm -hmm. because uh i want to make sure that rich is fresh um, so we've got one focus on language that's relevant to you, which is kind of like that Michelle Thomas thing that uh, I mentioned. Two, mm. use language to communicate. Three, comprehensible input. Four, language, not knowledge. Um, so kind of like physiological training. And then five, yep. um, psycho, psychological, psycho, physiological state matters. So to be... Uh, relaxed. So the the last part reminded me a lot of um, Suggestopedia. Yeah. So and yeah, I read that you were initially interested in hypnosis uh, and stuff. So yeah, I I completely agree with that, and that's a big thing for Michelle Thomas as well, is to make it sure it's a relaxed atmosphere. Um, but I I wondered. So it seems like a, there's a lot of kind of psychological principles in there. Yeah, it's, do, it's, do you it's, care it's funny to kind that, of expand because that, on that? That's that sort of that sort of suggestopedia thing. Uh, the idea of uh, learning being a lot more effective when you're relaxed, and in fact, suggestopedia uh, 1960s language learning method uh, it was very prescriptive about the environment and thing. It was like, you know, you play classical music, you have sofas, you have plants and the whole thing takes place in this very relaxed environment. I think there was a, there was a lot of psychological interest in that idea at the time. And this idea that learning uh, takes place much more effectively when people are relaxed. And it's kind of like, it's all been thrown out the window now. Like you don't really hear people talk about that anymore uh, that, um, you know, you need to be relaxed to learn effectively. It's kind of all disappeared. And I don't know why. I don't think it's been debunked or anything. It's like really great software is disappeared because they keep upping the OSs and the people who make the really great software can't keep up with the changes needed to, to stay with the OS. Um, it's, 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 it's really sad. Yeah, but, that's a good analogy. Um, I, I um, read Georgie Lozanov's book, three times or four times and I put together suggestopedia based learning for Westerners to learn Mandarin. So I did one in in Hong Kong for a couple of weeks and I did another one in Beijing uh, for a couple of weeks. And it's, it's, um, it's an enormous amount of work 
to do it really well. Mm. Um, but Paul from Lazanov's work was it's not so much that you've got a really relaxed environment and all of that. It, the core was the music. So, but not just that, it was a lexical mapping of the language. Mm -hmm. So you have mother tongue, target, space, all done in time with the music. The, the mother tongue chunk would be a meaning chunk mm -hmm. and it would be mapped with an equal meaning chunk in the target language. Okay. Um, so that was part of it, okay? And the Baroque was about putting you into an alpha state, um, breaking it up with lots of games and exercises, having posters around the room, colorful posters where the language was represented in, in those posters. Mm. But, the, but the absolute core, the absolute core was when he said he doesn't do hypnosis and he hated hypnosis because it was used as a tool of, man uh, of manipulation in Bulgaria. Oh, okay. That's why he called it suggestopedia. That was one piece of it. But the other piece was that he would never correct anybody. Interesting. Do not, do not correct. Do not correct. And so what he would be doing was noticing what people were trying to communicate. He would then be feeding back to them, this is what you mean, right? And so, so he wouldn't correct anything. He would simply model the correct way of doing it as soon as possible after yeah. the event, and yeah. people's brains would pick it up. Um, and I took that, and I actually extended that. to. So I was doing a lot of training work for corporates uh, at that time, um, and I was in a – sales workshop in in um Wuxi in in um Jiangsu and uh <laughs> I deliberately did that so so people would say stuff that was not right and I wouldn't correct them I would just take it and then model the right way of doing it mm -hmm. about you know within the next 2 minutes or so and that was by far and away the best training I had ever done in my whole life, mm -hmm. um, just applying that principle. And it was non-language. Um, so I just built that into my repertoire of, of what I was doing from then on, and it's just made a massive difference. So, so adults especially, but even kids, can't take being made wrong and being corrected all the time. Mm. Uh, but they're always open to feedback, <clears throat> which comes from the interaction and the communication. Mm. Yeah, um, I mean, that that kind of brings me to the the, the next stages of the book. Um, well, the, the not next stages, but the other, the seven actions. So the seven actions were the listen, the patterns and rhythm, two meaning before words, three start mixing what you know to be um, and basically be creative four focus on core common words five language parent six copy the face and seven direct connect to the language um, to kind of connect to words to responsibilities what i think you've just previously talked about um, it links very much with that language parent because it's almost like you are parenting um, well, no, it is like you are parenting quite, exactly, quite literally. Exactly. Uh, and I, you know, I've got a young uh, two-year-old right now, and 
uh, I've read this before and, and this is exactly, I mean, I've got a background in language teaching, so <laughs> this is exactly what I do with him. I don't, you know, get him to say this word, say that word, you know, I just, you know, what, what, we're, what we're playing with, I talk about it and, you know, I use, you know, the, the label for that or if he says something and it's a bit wrong, you know, like he says window rather than window, you know, I, I just repeat what he says back to him but with the correct correct pronunciation it exactly, doesn't it exactly. doesn't really matter if he gets it right that time but that exposure builds exactly. right and 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 there's there's almost a probable yeah but there's, there's almost a probabilistic function going on mm-hmm. so you'll find if, if if you if you correct someone or if you model which is the best way to do it they won't necessarily change straight away. Mm-hmm. And then they might start getting it right 10% of the time. Mm-hmm. And then they move to 20%. Then they move to 30%. Then they move to 40%. And then they get to 50-50. And from there, they might quickly go to 100% or they still step it up. So um, their brain has to be ready to, to hear the difference, to understand the difference. Then they have to start using it when they think of it. And so you get this this probabilistic function happening over time. It's higher and higher probability that it's going to be the correct form, um, but it's not 100% for, for quite some time. Do, do you think it's worth uh, considering uh, encouraging language learners to sort of to reflect about things like that, or would you would you just completely step back and kind of just let things happen in that way? They're they're ad, they're adults, so you have to teach them to get out of their own way. Hmm. Um, they're into I have to remember this many words and I have grammar and no you don't Hmm. (laughs) you actually don't have to learn the grammar in fact learning grammar is probably the worst thing you can do (laughs) Um, right Uh, you will get the grammar as you use use the language you will you will intuit okay the words go in this order you'll intuit the ing means it's ongoing you will intuit Hmm. the ed means that it's it's finished right so it's not that you're not learning the grammar it's that you're not consciously left brain trying to analyze it as a way of of mastering it so i'm not saying that grammar is not important grammar is a layer of meaning that is not in the lexicon itself Hmm. yeah i kind of often see it as almost like code it's kind of you you only really need to learn about it if you need to i don't know I guess fix certain parts, um, you know, or you you don't know what why is why why am I going wrong with this particular writing part, and then you have to consciously sort of figure it out. I guess as a as a native speaker, um, but it, it's it's very it's very interesting, and the uh, this idea of exposure, I think is really important because it it lends well with that kind of suggestopedia aspect of of it Mm, in mm. that it's it's you can kind of it helps you relax into it and you know i actually use this principle not just with language you know like with my son this is our approach to um uh, getting him to try new foods you know like we mm-hmm. he has a whole bunch of safe foods and then we'll try and introduce 
a new food and we don't like force him to eat the new food you know we'll eat the new food and we'll just it'll just be there on the plate and it might be there on the plate for like three or four times before he even touches it and then one time he's going to touch it and he's going to play with it and hold it and then you know like maybe 10 15 times that down the way he actually tries it and puts it in his mouth and then he's like eh, and then he might spit it out but that that's not the point it's it just being exposed and it being there yeah it's yep. it seems to be a core principle of learning not just in language but just kind of uh, anything anything yeah. yeah yep 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 it's absolutely a core of learning anything yeah right you you and and you start with what you can do and then you slowly test the edges you look at little animals right mm-hmm. um they will be with the mom and then they'll go out 10 meters and come back mm-hmm. yeah and then the next day they'll do 11 meters yeah and come back right and then then the next day they'll do 12 meters and they come rushing back <laughs> yeah. oh my god what did I do? Yeah. pretty much pretty much pretty much and you know, and, and a year later you know the cat buggers off and you don't see him for two days <laughs> yeah. oh you're still around yeah he's kind of yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then it's like uh then the parents lost their role, I guess. But uh, yeah. you know, I guess it's a yeah, transitory yeah. thing anyway. In many it's regards. a transitory thing, exactly, exactly. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Mm. So yeah, though. So you were going through the actions, listening a lot is is absolutely key. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, you talked. To, yeah, you can go on. No, you talked about focusing on getting the meaning first. You talked about comprehensible input, and most people don't understand what that is. Mm-hmm. Um, it actually means that when you get the meaning, you will subconsciously acquire the words and the linguistic structures. Mm-hmm. Mm. I mean, that's <laughs> literally taught in the CELTA's MFP, right? Meaning, form, pronunciation. You know, b- building building up from that. But I think I think what you're getting at is it's it's it really it really should be a big part of the circle rather than a small, the, the small it, it, part. It, it, it almost sounds like, uh, like Chris is saying that, um, you know, you just, the, the, the only thing, the only thing they need to kind of consciously learn students or language learners need to consciously learn is, uh, is, is the meaning and the other things will sort of fall into place. Mm-hmm. Pretty much. But you know, I, I can be there with you like this and I can go Trifana, Trifana. Right. And you you get it, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so you got the meaning, you'd never heard the words before. Mm. And that happens in, in your your story, you know, touching the stuff on the plate and coming back, it's there and then mm-hmm. touch it again. So so you've got these two processes operating simultaneously. Mm-hmm. You're gonna pick it up. So the next time you hear trifan trifan, you'll mm. know what it means. The third time you hear trifan, like they're standing by the table, they're telling you to come over, trifan trifan. Mm. So you've already worked out. Okay, it's let's eat. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. And and so you're not even translating it. You're connecting all of this information, <clears throat> which is the meaning, mm. to those sounds that you're hearing and and the sequence that they're used. Mm. And your brain is is literally noticing those patterns and storing those patterns. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm. So when interesting, you, when you, it's kind when, of like leaning with leading with teaching. Uh, 
I don't know how, how you would phrase that concepts. Is it PGA that does the the schemas where with the little kids where it where where the focus is on making sure um, teaching I guess concepts like transportation. So oh, this car moves. What else moves? This ball moves. Teaching these big broader concepts, but I guess with with language, it's kind of like what oh this is this is eat but you know can we use this in different other ways and stuff is is that kind of i think i've just lost um, my thought <laughs> no well <laughs> sorry it, I, it's it like 4am here <laughs> okay sorry about that it, it was Jan, it was Jane it was james asher mm-hmm. it was james asher who came up with the idea of a total physical response mm-hmm. So uh, again, it's there's it, probably lots of people who've done this in slightly different ways, mm-hmm. um, but it's always connecting to the physical world. It's always connecting to how objects relate to other objects. Um, it's going to be talking about feelings, states, positions. Right? There's a core of meaning around our physical presence in the world and the objects that we interact with. Mm-hmm. And and we need so that that sort of brings us to that direct connect to mental images. It's actually internal representations. So you 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 need to be connecting the sounds to the internal rep- representations that you have of the world. So your representation of cup may be different to my representation of cup, but they're they're close enough in in overlap because they both link to real world cups. Mm-hmm. That you know if I hear cup and I get this image of a cup. Um, then I'm speaking the language for cup. Yeah. Right. So, mm. and, and and you can then design a course around that idea, so that um, people are first of all labeling the concrete objects. Then you expand to classes of objects. And what kids tend to do, they will use one concrete object to 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 talk about the class. Mm-hmm. Mm. Okay. So you know, vessel, a drinking vessel, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So you've got glasses, cups, bowls, all that sort of stuff, right? That's the memory that we're building up, if that makes sense. But yet you've got to start going really concrete, not abstract. Yeah. So it's induction, as they say. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Rather than deduction. It's It's induction. It's induction. You have to induct your way into a language. You cannot deduct your way into a language. You Mm. you try deducting your way into a language without the the basis, and I go down so many rabbit holes and never come Mm. out. So is that, Mm. I mean, let's talk a little bit about um, Kung Fu English. So is that kind of the principle that you use with that? It starts out with these concrete examples, and you build from that, and you mix in the the rhythmic uh, uh, and music and patterns and stuff or yeah, well, I mean, what's the what's got, the approach because I mean it's a, a Chinese app so I'm I wasn't and I don't have an iPhone so I wasn't able to kind of play with it so I'm just interested of like this language it, system that you've developed what's what's the, pr- the approach with it, that everything that we've talked about mm-hmm. has been built into the product okay I mean literally everything so you start and you will be listening to something and all you need to do is make a note of how much of it, if any, you understood. Okay. 
and it could be nothing, right? You then ask the brain soak. So you give, give you something, you listen to it for five minutes, and you, you, you're listening not with the intent of understanding anything. <clears throat> you're, you're listening with the intent of noticing things that repeat, noticing the rhythms, noticing the pitch. Now, all of that is designed to put your attention on the nonverbal aspects of the language signal. And also to train to train your ear because if you're not hearing the language, you literally you don't open the filters in your brain, so you can't hear it. And and I found this out myself. One day we, we made the Spanish product and um, I was listening to it and I was really getting irritated with the with the tech team, with the sound team. And he, oh, the sound is terrible. You can't hear anything really clearly. It's just awful. Right. And I, I was listening to it, 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 and then it got clearer and clearer. And I realized that it was not the um, the sound that was my brain because yeah. mm. you're, you're you're trying too hard to kind of listen to it and it's like shutting you down i guess no it's, it's literally your brain needs to hear it enough for it to get okay so this is actually a signal i should be paying attention to rather than a signal that i'm going to filter right. out um, yeah right okay, yeah okay. i totally i totally agree with i see i'm <clears throat> i'm uh, um i've I, I played guitar for 20 years and um, right. one of my favorite analogies for language learning is between learning the language and learning the musical instrument, because not right. only is the kind of psychological process similar, but the there's a lot of there's a lot of an, uh, things that are analogous, like training your ear and training your muscle memory. Um, yes. And I, I 100 percent agree that, you know, those 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 are kind of key parts of learning a language. Yep. Yep, exactly. Exactly. Like initial, initially, I remember, I remember when I was a teenager. So I started learning guitar at 18. But I remember when I used to, because I was really into music in my teens, way more than I am now. And I, I, I used to listen to all kinds of stuff when I was 14, 15, 16. But I, I didn't he really hear the instruments. I just kind of listened to the song, right? And then when I started playing guitar, I really started to hear the guitar. You know, and these days, if I listen to something and there's a guitar in it, not only do I hear a guitar, but I kind of know how they're playing it. You know, mm -hmm. I know where I know more or less where their hand is. I know kind of what they're doing. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Mm. It's the same with language. You know exactly what someone is going to. And you heard say next before it even came out. Because we, we, we have these patterns in mind and our brain is actually running ahead and filling it in. When you get to a certain age, you find that you actually know what's coming in in the language because that's the highest probability thing that's going to come in that right. sequence that's it yeah, yeah. So it also lends to kind of maybe uh why something like comedy works because it's your your you listen to a stand-up comedian and then you're 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 listening to the story and then it's an interrupt because it's not what you expect and then you get the reaction of especially if it's something that's unexpected but kind of a bit strange it's 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 funny and it catches you off guard. It's almost, it's almost always two storylines. Yeah. Your storyline. So you're filling all the way back that second narrative. Yeah. Right. So telling one narrative and then right at the end, the punchline actually gives you oh, it's a different narrative, right? Mm -hmm. And as, as a simple example, is, is like Billy Connolly's one, like the two Glasgow lads on the way home from work one day. Yeah. One says the other, oh, Jesus Christ, I'll get home tonight, I've got to rip the West Knickers off. <laughs> what force is the other one? Oh, the elastic's hurting my legs. 
That's a fantastic. That is fantastic scotch. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I I spent I spent two hours in Beijing trying to convince a bunch of guys from Scotland that I'd never been to Scotland in my life, and they wouldn't believe me. (laughs) (laughs) Brilliant. (laughs) Well, it was like. Look, I've never been there, really. I'm telling the truth. <laughs> no, you're not. Of course you've been there. Grew up there, Ned. <laughs> <laughs> That's fantastic. That's brilliant. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, re- I really, um, I really like this approach. And, um, you know, from everything that you, you've spoke, I think this is, this is one of the ways that we should be moving forward uh, with, with language learning. It's just one of the, one of the, pushbacks with that i feel is that it doesn't seem to uh, match with i guess society expectations or instant gratification and i think that's why this sort of stuff gets kind of pushed to the side because you know people like i want to learn language give me 10 phrases youtube video top 10 phrases that you need to know in chinese to get you out on the street Whereas not you know no one wants to sit round and um, just you know listen and you know brain soak so it's 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 annoying because right. it's well, but, obviously but, but, the way to do it. I, I hear, you, but we don't just brain soak. So like lesson one, right? You're going to be getting how do I say this in English? Mm-hmm. So we do it as a rhythmic song. It's how it's a ma how. Mm-hmm. Sure, mm-hmm. say Ying Yu, right? So we're using the music, we're using the lexical mapping, um, and you're learning how to say, How do I say this in English? And then you're probably wondering, Why am I learning this? It's because you need to be using the language to learn the language. It has to be your go to methodology to get new information. Because mm-hmm. you'll see people learning a new language and then they jump to mother tongue and they say, How do you say that? No. Mm. <laughs> you're mm. in the target and you use the target to ask about and you can mm. drop in the word or you can hold up the object mm-hmm. right mm. but you 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 insist to yourself that you use the language to inquire about the language mm-hmm. right and then very quickly yeah. you get into um i want water i want i want some food right yeah um uh, so, so you you got to be very practical, very fast, mm-hmm. mm. right? Mm. Got to be very practical, very fast. Mm-hmm. But loop, so the way we designed it in Kung Fu English was to loop it. So you do some brain soaking, you would listen to the music, you get the lexical chunking, <clears throat> you do a little bit of what we call L 2 B. So you you will hear, you know, the door, and you see a picture of a door, and you'll. Um, you'll see um, a picture of a man walking and you'll hear the sound walk, mm-hmm. right? And then you get walk to the door and you get to a point where you've got eight pictures and you hear a phrase and you have to select the picture which is the correct one, which matches the phrase. And we actually encourage people not just to to listen and choose the pictures, but to physically do it. So, you know, put the orange into the bowl. So you've got an orange in a bowl and man dropping it in. That's the picture. But in your house, you can do it on your table. You can get the the various things, the objects, and you're mm-hmm. hearing it and you're responding to it physically with the body. Mm-hmm. All right. So 
And everything we do is micro lessons. So the pronunciation might be 30 seconds with the video of 10 words and you're looking at the face. And then you've got some music and then you might do a little bit of L2B where you're playing around with the pictures and then you will do um, a little test where you, you're hearing words and you have to pick the picture or you hear the, you, you see the uh, picture and you hear the words in sequence and you have to pick which word matches the picture. So all the way through, we're getting people to connect their internal representations from multiple directions to the lexicon and their brain soaking and their hearing is improving. And then we give them live coaches so they will have maybe half a dozen contexts that they could talk about, you know, you know, getting a hotel room or whatever, and then they do a live one-on-one. So 80% of the time they're self-learning and 20% of the time they're pulling it out with interactions with their language parent. Ah, oh, that's fascinating. It's, it's very different to um, the, the, the language learning apps or systems that we that i've sort of experienced and i know i know other people deal with because it seems like there's a lot more integration like you've the michelle thomas course pilsner and all that jazz they're all audio um and then you've got like duolingo and um you know well, the whole bunch of different ones that I won't go into naming, where they 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 focus on you know like the the writing. They do have pronunciation and videos and stuff, but it seems like you've got a whole different approach that's a little bit more, I don't know, holistic and especially integrating a language parent and as well. I didn't realize that you actually did that. So is that kind yeah, of like part yeah. of the whole membership yes. that you you're going? Yep, you yep, kind of yep. move towards that. Yep, 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 yep. So, so very quickly, we have coaches. So if they get stuck, mm-hmm. they can have conversations around how they're thinking about it. We have videos which mm-hmm. talk about all these principles, demonstrate them in action. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when they're at a certain point, they, they've got milestones. So they, when they hit a certain milestone, they need to present a video with themselves talking about something that they upload to their account and then they'll get feedback from the coaches on that and then they they get to have their one-on-one with their language parent and um, for some of them they maybe never were able to learn English before and like they come out of they had a conversation with a foreigner <laughs> <laughs> no that's that's I fantastic it. uh, it's yeah. it's I the I, I, one of the best ways that i've i've heard so far of integrating technology with language learning uh because a lot of it's just a lot of it's just by the app and you you know uh you just mm. you click this click that and it, you know mm. it's, it's, you can you can get you know maybe to a1 a2 with with just using a, an app or something like that but then it always you always need that live component um Yes. So I think having that and integrated that is, is the first time that I've heard of doing that. So that's. I mean, I, I, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm really fascinated by by several elements of of of, uh, of the method, mm-hmm. uh, of your method, Chris. I mean, I, I didn't do any kind of research on your backstory or anything. Um, Neil, Neil did all that. So I was coming into this interview with, not, you know, no, no sort of idea of of, of your mm-hmm. background or the things you've done. I haven't. That's just how we do it. TED Talk either, um, <laughs> but. Um, but yeah, some of these things I find really fascinating, like um, how you mentioned focusing on micro expressions. Like, it's never occurred to me 
to um, to have a to, to to kind of guide students towards focusing on micro expressions. But I find the concept fascinating because you know it's 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 obviously you know it's all about communication and just anything that can draw people's attention and interest to something that's going to aid that communication in itself is interesting to me, but also the effect that it can have on their learning, I think is, I find that really interesting as well. Um, the, what you said before about accent being tied into facial expressions and how people feel and, uh, and yeah, this idea of um, when you were kind of coaching this French guy or whatever, and then he basically discovered that he didn't want an English accent because he didn't, he didn't like the personality that it gave him. <laughs> right? Exactly, um, exactly. Which I think is a massive issue, actually, you know, because, you know. It is, it is. Maybe if you, if you want to be the kind of um, polite, but sort of almost um, a little bit, um, you know, a little bit kind of the old empire style uh, of, of, of speaking, then maybe British is the way to go and it's all, you but know, isn't hello that and good day. their concept, though? That, that's what I find interesting. Isn't that his concept of what an English person is? Because, you know, obviously, I, I, I'm i not that kind of I old mindset of uh, the imperialist, uh, I don't know, kind of well, Churchill well, kind well, of guy got, or something. Well, you, I'm, I'm, I don't see British people like that. Of, yeah, but you're speaking sort of Northern English, like uh, Yorkshire, you know, so you've got that, you know, salt of the earth, you know, uh, I'm I'm Neil from Yorkshire, and I grew up. You know, you've got you've got that sort yeah. of thing going on, right? So it's it's a uh, it's different. Um, than yeah, but probably... that's what I mean. You know, like his that the French guy, he didn't want to be whatever he imagined a British person to be, or is it just kind of a if you have the British accent, there's a certain personality that gets attributed to, regardless of you know what you think of as british people like do languages have their own personalities that if you learn them and you learn them natively do they come on onto you i mean chris what do you think yeah, of something they like they, that they, they they do they do they do <clears throat> I, I you know i'm when i'm speaking cantonese i feel completely different to when i'm speaking mandarin um Interesting. completely different again when when i'm when i'm speaking english yeah and, and like you know the japanese if, if there's something weird happens like hmm hmm Mm. Like you, you won't mm. see that anywhere mm. else in the world, but they, they, they do that, right? They, mm. they, 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 exactly, exactly. Yeah. I, I mean, every the French, you know, puffing the cheeks, and pop, 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 you know, so you, mm. you, you've got these these stereotypical motions and expressions that different languages use, and you just need to see that and you know which language it is. Interesting. Yeah. Do you think there are any uh, ad advantages or disadvantages to having, you know, uh, certain languages? Do you know, like, uh, would you, like, for example, Chris, you know, you're, you're an adventurer, just uh, a legend, but, you know, do you go, okay, I've got to walk across, you know, the, the North Pole. What language am I going to be thinking to get through this or if you're going to go oh I'm, I'm going to go on a date with this girl what language should I be kind of like trying to adopt in my head of how I'm going to you know interact you know what I mean if, yeah but if I'm going to walk across, across Antarctica I'm going to learn I'm going to basically learn penguin um, <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and if I'm going to date this girl I'm going to be learning body language <laughs> 
Yeah, I mean, uh, that was, um, you know, we, we, there, there's that idea around that you, you know, you change your physiology, you know, maybe mm. that would, you would be more attractive if you were mm. acting or carrying yourself in different ways. Is it, is it, is, it, is, it, is your language oh. learning program, it's currently just um, aimed at um, teaching, teaching Chinese. English to Chinese speakers. Yeah, uh, it's, it's Mandarin, it's for Mandarin speakers to, to learn English. Mm. Uh, and, and the reason for that was um, the, the industry as a whole takes billions and delivers nothing. <laughs> basically. Ah, okay. um, do you have plans and, to, to, to expand into other languages? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We, we, we're beginning to look at um, getting licenses for, for other markets mm. and then localizing. So because of the way the content is designed, you've got mother tongue target. So any localization requires going through and getting the, the mother tongue piece in place. Mm, right, and then yeah. you've, got, you've, got to, you've got to redo all of the audio tracks. There's about three gigabytes of content. Ooh, yeah. So, so it's, it's not a, and that's already significantly compressed. If it's, if it's not compressed, you're, you're looking at probably 100 gigabytes, mm. uh, which is, is, is a lot of content, right? So, mm. but, but yeah. A lot, um, a lot of recordings, yeah. Yeah, God. Yeah spent weeks in a recording studio and I was uh, like, <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then we built our own in China at the time when we did it. And it was like a little space with the aircon on. And then when we started mm. recording, the aircon goes off and you go for about 10 minutes until you're dripping and then you, you're done with that piece and you, <laughs> wow. you come out and turn the aircon on again and, and then spend 20 minutes cooling off and then back in for another round. Um, so that was that Sounds was how fine. we did that back in the day. We, we did that. We did the app. Uh, we did CDs and stuff first, uh, but we did the app basically when the iPhone came out, when the the app store was just getting started. So they sort of gives you a bit of the time frame. Wow. And it's not an app. The app the app on the on the device is simply the syringe. The 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 medicine is the entire system, which is the audio, the video, the way it's structured, um, the way that we check people's progress give them feedback right that's that's yeah and, sorry and just, well, i used app as a, an encompassing term and i should be more with system yeah, I, yeah. I just went a bit reductive uh no 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 it's not not a problem not a problem it's it's um one one of the because you were talking about digital technologies and apps and stuff like that mm-hmm. um and our intent when we started to do this was to take the best of what is known about how languages are learned mm-hmm. which is also technology and work digital technology to deliver that in a simple, convenient package mm-hmm. that allows you to have a language in your pocket and you've got the methodology and the content so you can learn anywhere, anytime. So we're leveraging the, 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 the micro elements of digital technology. We're leveraging the uh, feedback aspects of it the, the tracking aspects of it, the fact that you can now put lots of video content into a small bundle and, and use it. So we're using all those aspects of digital technology and we're bringing the, the best of language learning um, pedagogy into a system which makes it fun and, and uh, leads to people actually learning successfully. That's fantastic. Mm-hmm. That's exactly what we like to hear. <laughs> Mm-hmm. yeah no it sounds it sounds great yeah honestly like um i'd i'd 
if, I don't have I don't have uh, a current interest in learning um, in in the, well in learning, learning English, English. And Mandarin. <laughs> learning English <laughs> and Mandarin. <laughs> I definitely don't. For some reason, I was thinking learning Mandarin then. But yeah, no. But if you if you had a version for English speakers learning uh, Japanese, because I'm I've just started learning Japanese, I'd be I'd be fascinated to try it. Yeah. So yeah, sounds sounds great. If you've enjoyed watching this episode, you know, remember to like, share, uh, and subscribe uh, to the channel. If you're looking for more content from myself of Team Teacher Fame, uh, you can go to www.teamteacherchina.com where we've got a whole bunch of PowerPoint materials that you can download, use instantly in your classroom, where we've got a Team Teacher China YouTube channel where we take those materials and we kind of show you how to use them. Team Teacher English where I take those materials and I put them into kind of like self-study uh, videos that you can use to give to as homework or just, you know, kind of watch them yourself. And then Team Teacher Baby where I take all my knowledge of language teaching and put it into teaching my child. Dun, dun, dun. And Rich? Uh, com slash Professor Rich for uh, English teacher materials, twitch.tv slash Profit Gaming for occasional Twitch gaming streams, especially on weekends. And um, feel free to contact me, ELT, ELT under the covers at gmail.com if uh, you think you have something worthwhile to contribute and you'd like to come on and talk to us. Yeah, and leave uh, some comments so below. Uh, oh, about... yeah, leave, some, leave, leave comments below for the things that you like, the things that you don't like. And we'll do more of the things that you don't like because that's what we do. <laughs> <laughs> and thank you very much for coming on the show, Chris. Uh, we're going to leave you with the last portion uh, of this episode. So over to you. All right. Um, people, if they want to know more about Kung Fu English, and they can go to kungfuenglish.com, K-U-N-G-F-U-E-N-G-L-I-S-H.com. It's all in Chinese, but I'm sure if you use a Google browser, you can you can see what's, what's being written. Um, anyone who's sort of looking at expanding their business in the language areas, they can reach me on chris at kungfuenglish.com. And um, in terms of, of people learning... Uh, we're all language geniuses. We've all done at least one all by ourselves and, and we can do others. So, you know, let it rip. You, you have what it takes. You've already done it. You just need to remember that and, and sort of oil some of those, those squeaky, rusty hinges and, and you'll be fine. Marvelous. Fantastic. All right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Bye -bye. There's, a, there's, there's, a, there's a book, isn't there? There's a book people can buy and have a read of, right? Yes, yes. Right? The third oh, year. yeah. <laughs> what, the, what was that? The third year. Yeah, yeah the third year. One, two, three years. That year, you can learn any language. Uh, you can find it on Amazon. That's basically the only place you find it, I think. Yeah. <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll stick a link down in the description below for that. <laughs>